Hello and welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath and today we have Nitesh. And Nitesh I met through uh, my wife actually. But um, we met at a mellow mushroom during COVID times. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> There's going to be interesting to see how many of those kind of stories uh, uh, people have around like COVID times as a marker of like time for <laughs> when people <laughs> met or anyway. Um, so uh, yeah, let's go ahead and just kind of dive into it because I haven't really gotten to know you so deeply because you know it's been COVID. <laughs> so, um, let's just kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, I guess to start, tell me where you're from. Um, like where were you born? So I was born in a small village near East Godavari. Um, it, it, the, the name of the town is called Ramchandrapuram. So I was born there, but uh, because my grandparents <clears throat> live in a village just very close to that town. It's about mm. just three, four kilometers away. Um, and this is India. Yeah, this is, this is India. Um, so, um, my mom was there. My, my dad also was, was from a town very close to that place. So I was born there. Um, but I very quickly moved to Hyderabad. I only stayed there for maybe two to three months after I was born because my mom was staying with her parents um, mm. during late stages of pregnancy and when I was born. Um, and then I quickly moved to Hyderabad um, and then pretty much lived my entire life in Hyderabad. Okay. So I went, I went to schooling there, I went to college there. Um, and after that, I moved to the U.S. But my... 90% of my life was in Hyderabad. Hyderabad. Yeah. So, t like, um, you've spent some time in the U.S. now. So, now that you kind of met lots of people who are from a very different culture than you grew up in, what are the things that you've noticed about Hyderabad that make it the way it is that people might not know if they're just not from India? Like, paint a picture of, like, what your childhood was like in that sense. Um, so, I, I mean, I didn't have an exciting childhood or something. My childhood was, was very plain and simple. I went to the same school for 14 years. Um, I started in kindergarten and I was in the same school until I passed out in 12th grade. Um, so, in fact, I lived in one single house for most of my life, apart from, like, maybe after I moved to Hyderabad, we probably stayed in one house for, like, a couple of years, and then I moved to my uh, house, which was very close to my school. So, um, my, uh, I mean, the area that I lived and, you know, where I grew up didn't really change too much. Mm. So... For me, Hyderabad was, and I, and I was not a person who even traveled much when I was a kid. Uh, so for me, when I was growing up, Hyderabad was mostly, you know, my house, school, and my friends who live close by. So it's, it's that, that it was just a little world for me when I was growing up. Because my dad used to travel a lot for work, um, but... It was me and my mom, and then when my sister was born later. Um, she was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, Hyderabad was just, you know, just the surrounding areas where, where I lived, but because I didn't travel too much out mm -hmm. of my um, area. So what, um, in that, like, small group in Hyderabad, who were the people that, like, really left uh, an impact on you growing up? Sure, so... Um, the, I mean, growing up, the you know the biggest impact that 
people left on me was maybe my dad because um we we didn't we didn't come from a very well off family uh, so we i mean when i was a little kid we had a lot of financial troubles and we you know but my dad was an extremely hard working person um in fact um my my dad was studying his bachelor's in um bulgaria um oh, wow. yeah um why bulgaria I don't know. I asked him. He said he basically didn't give me an answer. He's like simply <laughs> just like that. <laughs> he decided Bulgaria for some reason. Um, and when he was in um, his bachelor's, my grandfather passed away. It was my dad's father. Mm-hmm. He passed away, and my dad had to quit his studies um, midway and then move back to India um, mm-hmm. because he was the only son, and the others were um, daughters, and he had he had to take up a lot of responsibilities. So he started off with a very small job, and he had um, three other sisters, um, you know, who were still studying. So he had to pay for their college. He had to, you know, and then he immediately got married, and I was born in like one year. So we didn't come from a very well-off family. Uh, we had a lot of financial struggles um, in the beginning, but he was somebody. I mean, it's it's sim- simply incredible the amount of hard work that he puts into that he 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 probably worked for like three four companies so far and he literally transformed those places from small scale companies to large scale companies because that was the amount of work he used to put in so he was simply an example of you know if you work hard you will succeed and he was one person um who left a lot of impact um you know on me the second person I'd probably say is um, maybe my grandfather. Um, he, I mean, I wouldn't say that he left an impact on me, but he was one person whom my family, when I was growing up as a kid, I, I was very close to him. And mm. um, we were, I mean, me, my sister, and my mom had her sister. So I had two first cousins from my mom's side. I'm um, talking about my mom's father when I say grandfather. Um, I was extremely attached to him um, when I was growing up. I really enjoyed being with him. He used to take me around. He was the one who taught me to play chess when I was really? a little kid. And then I had you ever beaten him? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> took me a couple of years, but uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but and in fact, because of him, I even pursued professional chess. For a little while, really, and then I quit at some point later. Um, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd probably say um, those two people were really important. And of course, this—I mean, I can't ignore my mom in this, but yeah. <laughs> um, I really loved her, and she really loved me. But in terms of impact, maybe these two people. Mm. What um. What about in school? Were there any teachers that had any impacts? I was never particularly close to any teachers in school. Um, I mean, I'm, when I was in school, I was, I was an extremely quiet person. I barely spoke. I mean, I wouldn't say I barely spoke. Uh, I mean, of course, I had a lot of friends, but I was not really, you know, a social person. I don't express myself too much. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not popular in school. <laughs> um, So, and I was not particularly very close to most of my teachers, but until, so when I was, like I said, I was in the same school for 14 years and until 
from kindergarten to 10th grade, um, you know, it was just me regularly just going to school. That's it. I was never particularly close to any teacher. But in 11th and 12th, um, it actually changed. So why is that? It's because I, I think when I when I st- when, when I started when I started 11th, it was 2008, and my school Bharti Vidya Bhavan Jubilee Hills, they actually stopped 11th and 12th. I maybe f- at, in 2003 or something. And then five years later, they decided to start it back again. They wanted to start back 11th and 12th again. In India, oh. it's it's an option. I mean, not all schools will, you know, in the U.S., it's like, you know, you go to high school from 9th grade to 12th grade. But in India, right. it's different. So some schools will offer only until 7th grade. Some schools will offer 10th grade. Some schools offer until 12th grade. It's so interesting. Yeah. So they decided to start 11th and 12th again. And ours was the first batch. Uh, you know, the, 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 the restart first batch. Um, and the number of students in our class were 11 people. Mm-hmm. Um, for only 11? Only 11. So we were a very small group of people yeah. who got extremely attached with each other and also extremely attached with our teachers because it was, you know, a very small pool of people. In fact... There were so many other teachers in the school who did not know that 11th and 12th had restarted. You know, because I remember the first day of our 11th Wait, class. Like some people didn't even know it was happening? Yeah, it was happening. No, <laughs> seriously. And um, the first day school restarted, I mean, when school started, uh, first day of 11th grade, we were three people who started, like literally three people in a class and a teacher was coming to teach us, like three people. It's, it was, it's, more, it's more like homeschooling. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I believe, I believe it was lunch break. Um, all three of us were sitting in the class. We were just talking and eating lunch. There was an English teacher uh, who, who taught English. She walked past our class and she looked like this. I mean, she... Uh, bent her head, she stopped walking, bent her and looked at us because she recognizes us because we were in the same school for so many years. She recognized us and she came to us and asked, did you guys fail 10th grade? Why are you, what, what are you guys doing here? Like, <laughs> and and we told her, no, we are in 11th. What? We have 11th in our school? <laughs> and she was shocked. And, and then slowly new students started joining and we ended up being 11 people in the end. Even so, um, I don't know how it works in the U.S., but in India, in, in most schools, you have something called a morning assembly where um, all the students in the school, they come to like a, you know, a playground or an open assembly area, where, uh, like an auditorium. Um, people Every say, day? Yeah. Every day? Every day. Oh, wow. So you go there, you know, you have to chant some prayers, national anthem, some people give speeches. Um, if... If, um, you know, if it's your birthday, they call you on stage and everybody wishes you happy birthday and things like that. Oh, wow. Uh, so in, in that, so in our assembly, there are probably around 2000 kids, right? So every class and section, like if there are maybe eight, nine sections in 10th grade exclusively, any section has 40 people, but 11th grade, there's one section and we were, all, and initially we were only three people. And everybody formed lines, right? Each section forms a straight line of 40 people. And they asked us to stand separately because we were 11th grade and our line was three people. And there was literally, like I said, 2,000 people. Um, 
each lines of 40 and we were at the end with you know with like with, with three people it was it was extremely hilarious and people used to look at look at us very strangely in school at least for maybe the first <laughs> the six, six, six seven weeks and it was, it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> interesting hmm. um so in that whole time period what was like what are the things that you did just for fun that you just enjoyed I so schooling was probably the best phase of my life. Um, it's it, it, it so schooling is 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 such a thing, right? Where you know, because all of us are at a certain age, everybody is like innocent. No, nobody, nobody is really you know what they are today. Like you no know, mm-hmm. people eventually become into you know. You know, some people become good people, bad people, whatever, right? But at that age, everybody is sort of similar. So we we had this group of friends. Um, we we used to love playing football. I mean, soccer every day. <laughs> uh, for the rest of the world. For the rest of the world, <laughs> it's football. <laughs> um, and you know, we used to hang out, and then um, we used to do crazy stuff. We used to sometimes bunk classes we used to jump the school wall and go go outside. wait you had a wall like a prison wall no, not like a it's not really a prison wall so so the way bhavan's wall is right so you cannot really get out of school by yourself you can't just walk out of the gate mm-hmm. you know you need to have a valid reason of why you're leaving school sure. so the way you can jump bhavan's wall is so bhavan's is share uh, there's a common wall between two schools so there is another school just behind our school called jhps it's called jubilee public school and it's and then our school so the way the only way you can get out of our school like escape out of our school is to jump into their school and then get 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 you know get out from behind so mm-hmm. so there's our school there there are hills behind our school uh, it was in a hilly area there were hills behind our school and then there's their school, and then there is a road that leads to you know leads like a like a small path that leads behind um, to the main road behind their school behind their school. So we have to jump our wall, get into their school, and then you know get out. So we used to have um, a friend who used to who used to have a driver um, who used to drive him to school every day, and he used to wait outside you know till evening to pick him up again the whole day he's the waiting whole day, the, the driver is waiting whole day and he used to call his driver you know ask us to come pick up you know in that small path behind and he used to jump the wall get in and i don't know go to mcdonald's play cricket <laughs> outside um play go to you know uh, cafes and play snooker and so do all sorts of things you know what is snooker um Pool. Oh, oh. <laughs> I like that name. Snooker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's so cool. it's, it's, it was a fun time. <laughs> um, what would you say are the, the biggest challenges you had growing up? Like things that you had to kind of overcome? Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't really have any major problems as such in my life, but I was... I was okay academically. I was not very good, and I was not very interested. Um, maybe to study what I was studying, I guess. So, um, and especially in India, um, there is so much social 
and family pressure for you to get good grades. Right? Mm. Um, if you don't get good grades, you are probably labeled not good enough in a society sometimes. Um, so I never used to like that. And I was never, I mean, I was, I never used to fail. I never failed, but I, I was never in the, the top half of my class ever. And that was sort of like a disappointment to my family sometimes because they expected what me always to get, you know, in the U.S. they call it A's, but in India they, you know, they count your totals between zero and hundred. So <clears throat> they grade your paper based on uh, on a marking system. So they always expected me to get you know nineties and close to hundreds, which, which which never happened. And it was it always used to bother me because I used to come home and my mom used to always ask me to study, and it it was it was extremely pressurizing at at some point because I was never interested in doing so. I only studied to pass. I had no other, you know, reason to study. And I and and I didn't, I didn't even know what I wanted to do at that point. Um, mm. Whenever I watch something crazy on TV, I just decide that night that I want to be that. So I want to be a football player. I want to yeah, be. A, okay. It's it's just <clears throat> random thoughts at that point. But um, studies were never easy for me. Uh, they were not easy when I went to college as well. I had no idea what I wanted to do in life until maybe I came to the U.S. Mm. So when you came, what did you end up deciding you wanted to do? So my bachelor's was chemical engineering. And the reason I took up chemical engineering is because my dad told me it's a good thing to do. And I said, okay. And I went there. And by the way, for most people who do not know what chemical engineering is, it has nothing to do with chemistry. Oh, chemistry what is and it? chemical engineering are absolutely two different things. And I didn't even know that because I thought, okay, so I learned chemistry in school. I thought, oh, okay, this is probably the same thing. And then I started chemical engineering and they're like completely two different things. They have nothing to do with each other. So the difference is chemistry is something you do in a lab. Chemical engineering is how you take the things that you do in a lab and scale up in oh, okay, okay. To, an, to an industrial size. That's the difference. But the two totally different things. And once I started bachelor's, I just didn't, I, I hated it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but then again, this, there is again, this pressure in, in the Indian education system, how Indian families think that they expect you to get good grades. That's the only way and probably do something in life. And I sucked at college. I never, again, I never failed. I just passed, but I never failed. But I was not good at it. That, I mean, it's, I just study for the sake of it. That's it. I mean, um, and I just finished chemical engineering and everybody, most people ask you, right? What, what are you doing after bachelor's? And I had no idea. And I said, okay, um, everybody is either doing masters, starting a job or going abroad. I said, okay, I'll go to the U.S. <laughs> and I came here and again, I took chemical engineering in my master's. So you kept going even though you hated it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was, maybe the reason I took it up because if you, if you did chemical engineering in your bachelor's, it's extremely difficult to get an admission in a school 
um, in another degree if you want to do another. I mean, oh, I, certainly, I certainly cannot just go do computer science or, you know, music or art or literature or something like that. It, right. it, it matters what you did in the past. So maybe that's one of the reasons I had to apply for a master's in computer. So I thought maybe if I do master's, it'll probably change my mind. And then I decided to do a job in chemical engineering. And did it? No, <laughs> not even close. And um, I came here first semester. I was horrible. And then I switched to industrial engineering, expecting it'll probably be better. It was even horrible. And um, I somehow made it through masters. But I, today I'm a, I'm a software developer. Now, when since I was young, I was always good with technology, computers, and coding. I could code since I was very young. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know why I just didn't pick that up as a you know as a career or a profession. The one of the reasons why I did not was I think maybe family as well. Um, they were it, there was an outbreak of software engineers at a point in India. And oh. all across the world. A uh, pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can call it a pandemic. There was literally an outbreak of software engineers and people weren't getting jobs because the, the industry was still, was still stagnated. So that's the reason I picked up chemical engineering, th thinking mm -hmm. that I'll probably do something with it. But I realized now, when once I'm working, that I'm good at what I do because... I know how to code and I enjoy coding. Mm. And I had this stupid perception when I was young saying, I like to code for myself, but I don't want to do a software job and just code whatever they ask me to. So you want to code what you want to code? Yeah, for. exactly. I had this, I mean, and but I didn't know what I wanted to code, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it should be my idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I was like, I won't do what you're asking me to do, but I don't know what I want to do. So not like I, I invent, I invented Uber or something. I built the app, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. But uh, then I, and then when I came here and started my software job, I, I, I absolutely love my job and I'm very good at it. And I quickly scaled up from... I mean, in a matter of like for three years, I scaled up from a junior developer to an architect now. Mm -hmm. So because end of the day, it's because what I love to do, that's it. So do you feel like it's good you took the path you took anyway, or do you wish something would have happened to make you go down that path of, of coding? Um, I honestly never thought about it. Maybe if I took the computer science path, um, I would have maybe been a better coder, but... I don't think so. I don't think it would have mattered too much because most of the stuff that I learned during my um, professional career, I did it by myself anyway. Not like I would have learned any of that in school. I don't think it would have mattered. No. Okay. Is there, um, like if you, if you were able to go back to your younger self and help him at least figure out what he wants to do, mm -hmm. is there anything, any advice you could have even given to yourself? Um... Sure. I mean, but it has nothing to do with my professional career now. Um, in 2020, I mean, pandemic was, was a, probably a catastrophe for the entire planet. But for me, it was actually pretty good because I learned so many new things. I picked up new habits. Um, I picked up personal finance. I picked up um, stock market. I picked up a lot of things. And the more I learned about 
you know, the financial sector and um, the whole financial industry and personal finance, I really felt that these things have to be taught in school. And I need, I wish I knew them when I was much younger mm. and like financial literacy. Yeah. Financial literacy. Like most kids are never taught financial literacy. And I learned so much in 2020 that I wish if I learned 10% of that when I was young, I would probably be much well off today. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I wish I had learned when I was young. Not just me. I wish any kid learns when they were young. Um, when you think back to, uh, I mean, I would imagine that Hyderabad when you grew up is different than how it is now, if nothing else, just cause population keeps growing and growing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would you say are the differences that you've noticed? Um, the, the city has become westernized and when I, when I grew up, there was, I don't know, there was nothing in Hyderabad that you could actually go look at like i mean there are like four or five places there's golconda fort there is charminar and the falaknama palace probably three four places but then nothing else maybe and the only other thing that probably reminds you of hyderabad is biryani and halim and that's it right? <laughs> <laughs> um but now hyderabad is is a different city it's especially there because there's so many people migrated to hyderabad because after bangalore it's the second biggest it hub of India. So it's, 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 the city is completely changed now. It's, it's so westernized. There's so many malls, there's so many bars and, uh, you know, clubbing. And I'm not saying the Western world just does those things, but, um, it's, it's not what it used to be. It's the, the, the population has, you know, has changed. They, they think differently now. Um, um, they buy different things. I mean, the the whole atmosphere of Hyderabad has actually changed a lot. Do you still relate to it? Um, relate to like uh, just the lifestyle there and the people that are there, like the way it was when you were living there. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit, um, not too much. But I, and and I, I since I moved, in fact, I moved to the U.S. Now it's around six and a half years ago now, right? Every, and I visit, visit India once a year. I make sure that I visit, 2020 was unfortunate, but I make sure that I visit India once a year. And every time I visit Hyderabad, it's different. Like mm -hmm. literally in one year, um, I see new constructions, new buildings and new places. It just, um, it's just horrible, like horrible traffic then. <laughs> <laughs> horrible traffic. Um, yeah, the city just keeps changing every single year. It's, it's, it's almost it's almost like a time lapse. Yeah, because you're just getting snapped. yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, are there any things you feel really need to be addressed there that uh, you wish was getting more attention? Yeah, so I I just feel that people are getting carried away with you know trying to I don't know modernize themselves or westernize themselves now i'm not saying western culture is bad i'm not saying american culture they just pick up the things that they think the western world always does they just assume that people in miami and new york city are partying 24 7. So, <laughs> um, and they're just trying to replicate that in hyderabad they just 
you know, just constantly there. I, I, I won't say they're forgetting their values and things like I won't say things like that because I should have them myself before I, <laughs> before I um, say people are losing values and things like that. But they're they're just getting carried away um, mm. with assuming that's what the Western world does, which is crazy. <laughs> what do you think would be the the one of the better steps that or not better, but like what would be good steps that could be taken to uh, make places like that just better for growing up and better for living in? Um, no, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't really have an actual answer for that. No, when when people, I wouldn't say it's just the kids who are getting, who are westernizing, right? No, my my parents have changed. They're, they're not what they were 20 years ago. They, they think differently. They think, I mean, they're good things and bad things. They think, um, you know, much more modern than what they used to think before. So the thinking of the population has changed. I don't believe it can be reversed. There are now changes good sometimes, changes bad sometimes, but I think the thinking of the population has changed enough that I don't think they will go back to what they were 15, 20 years ago. And I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but mm. yeah, um, it's just that people are just thinking what happens in Western Europe and America is how they should be living. And maybe that's, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's difficult to change them back to what they were before. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be going back, but yeah. like in terms of even going forward, yep. what are things that would be good to keep in mind? Like, for example, um, I, I've traveled a bit, but I mostly know the U.S., mm -hmm. at least the parts I've lived in. Sure. And what I've found is that there's a lot of people that have just fallen into survival mode. And because they're just constantly trying to survive, they've mm -hmm. forgotten what they're even living for. Like, what are you doing? So it's just work, 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 and not trying to do anything that brings joy into their life. <laughs> That's true. And, and it's, and I don't blame people completely also, because... It's hard. It's it's hard, and um, jobs are getting tougher and tougher. They expect you to work longer hours. So you don't have time for your family anymore, and especially and I and a lot of Indian population. India probably produces the highest number of engineers on the planet and people. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and. and and most U.S. companies and any of uh, you know the developed you know countries have their offshore operations always in India, mm -hmm. and all these engineers are employed by all these foreign corporations, and they they they're made to work like what twelve hours a day and fourteen hours a day sometimes, mm -hmm. and we talk about work life balance and you should know you should think about why you're living you know you should you should only work for um you should, i mean you should only work what you you know work in the space that you actually love and things like that but it doesn't really work that way always right because when you're working when you're working in developing countries or poorer countries people work to survive and feed their families now it's slightly different in the western world if you can you know, one day just come out and say, you know, I'll just go do whatever I want. It does not quite work that way in India because you have 
a family that depends on you. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying it does not happen in the Western world. In a lot of you know, there are a lot of uh, parents who have responsibilities for their for their kids and all. But it's there in India. It's not just your immediate family. It's how your parents are dependent on you. If your parents are coming from a very poor background, you have to you know provide for them, improve their living standard, and then improve your living standard. Get a job, get married, buy a house, buy a car. So. Mm-hmm. They just assume, they just, it's like a checklist, right? You have to go to college. You have to get a good, you know, good, good, you have to get good grades to get a good job, get married, buy a house, buy a car. And by the time you fill all this checklist, your life is already gone, Gone. is behind you. And, and they're, and they, and then they're not doing it because they love doing it. They're, They're doing it because they don't have a choice. Mm. Yeah, because that's what society expects from you, and, and it's it's not easy in developing nations, um, you know, to earn <clears throat> enough money um, fairly early in your early stages of your life. Yeah, mm. yeah. I went to Peru in 2015, and I, mm. I went into one of these little jungle towns, and it was just. Just a dusty little dirty nonsense mm-hmm. of a town, and like all the roads are like dirt. So uh, they're not all dirt, but they're dirty. And I felt like they just sort of xeroxed mm-hmm. what they think this more Western city should be, yeah. and pasted it. And it, so you know how like if you xerox something enough, it gets really distorted. It's <laughs> like that. Like in India, they have the audio auto rickshaws, right? Right. There, imagine the back half of the auto rickshaw cut off and then a motorcycle attached to the front. That's what they're driving around, <laughs> like taxis. And you just, you're just breathing in all the fumes mm. and mm. it's dusty and it's... I was just thinking one day, I'm like, wouldn't it be better just to have a bunch of tree houses and be in the jungle? <laughs> <laughs> At least it'd be like clean air. Yeah. And but, yeah, I, it's, I don't like it, but it really depends a lot of times on where you are born, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm very glad that I'm born in India. Now in, it, it's it's I mean it's probably um, I wouldn't say not not as great as the U.S. or something like that, but it's not maybe not as um, easy to live as it is in the U.S. comparatively. But now what if I was born in North Korea or Syria or Guatemala or something like that, right? So mm-hmm. it really depends, unfortunately, of where you're born. Which, yeah, which which I wish changes at some point. <laughs> yeah, me too. It uh, this is maybe just like a privileged kind of thing yeah. from growing up here. But it is absolutely. But even like for me, when I met uh, Shrav, I didn't realize that different passports were different in terms of where you can go. Like I always assumed, oh, maybe I can't afford to go there, but I can go. And then I realized like, no, if you have the wrong papers, you just can't go. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> this blows my mind. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's d- depends. It, having, having the right passport is so important, right? Now, probably the U S has one, the third most powerful passport in the world. Uh, India probably has, I don't know, a hundred most powerful passport in the world, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's like 60. I could be totally yeah. wrong. I don't remember. Yeah. And US probably, you get free travel access to pretty much every country on the planet. India has access to 30 countries, I guess, right now. It's, it's built up for a period of time, I guess, to 30 now. 
But what if you have, I don't know, a Syrian passport? <laughs> Good luck. You can't even get out of your own country. <laughs> yeah. That breaks my heart. Okay. So, um, well, let's, let's shift a little bit. Uh, what would you say are, in all this time, some of your most, like, the things you're most proud of in your life? Um, one of the things that I'm proud of is maybe, um, my, my job and, and I, I picked up this software development career and I, I think I very quickly excelled in it and I'm extremely proud of it, even though I had no background in it and, um, you know, I never studied software development in school and things like that. It's mostly what I picked up on my own. Um, and I quickly scaled in, in my position. So I'm really proud of that. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I'm proud of this, but I'm really glad that I was able to read so much in 2020 read and I, I was 2020. I, I don't, I don't know from March to December, I was probably constantly reading, constantly listening to new things, building up knowledge on personal finance, financial literacy. It's, it's, I, I it, re it really changed my life. 2020 probably, you know, for changed lives of so many people in a bad way, but probably it actually changed my life in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we're talking about the pandemic, like, what do you, what do you make of this whole, like, I know it's benefited you in terms of having time to read and all this, but, uh, in, in a more general sense, what do you make of this whole, uh, situation? Like, what do you think's happening and what do you, what do you hope we can get to? And like, just what are your thoughts in general on it? Well, I hope we can get to, you know, not wear masks and actually meeting people. And I, I really want to travel to India. I haven't. I was, I, I travel to India mostly every December, November or December. I really want to go. I'm stuck. I mm -hmm. wish we can start traveling. Um, I wish um, vaccines are rolled out very quickly, people, and people actually take them and not complain. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just hoping for life to return back to normal I, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I, I can't wait for it to happen. Um, I wish less people have, should have died. Um, and, and especially in America, I wish, um, from the top, from, from the leadership perspective, I, I won't get into politics, but from the, from the leadership perspective, I wish right directions were given less people should have died. Mm. Um, but it is what it is. I hope life returns back to normal pretty soon. What do you think are the, the lessons that can be taken from this whole situation. Cause I feel like, uh, at least for me, this whole period is really, it's revealed what things were working and what things weren't. And I've noticed a lot of people have like, maybe they realized that their home situation is not what they want it to be. And so they started cleaning and decorating or <laughs> changing a home situation or like whatever it is. So what have you noticed about the, this last year? that good or bad has happened. It's like maybe changing within the, your friends and the people that you know, like maybe they've realized things or whatever. Um, 
I don't know specifically in my friend circle, but I I believe people sort of became kinder. Yeah. In the last year, I believe so. Um, people treat each other better. They actually understand. I, I mean, a lot of people, including maybe a few friends of mine, they were actually going out and helping people who lost their jobs, who couldn't afford food anymore. Um, so I, I really believe people actually, so most, I, mean, I won't say everybody, but um, I, I really believe people did become kinder and um, in the in the last year, which, which should have happened a long ago, but um, yeah, that's one thing that I really noticed. Mm. Yeah. What what changes do you what changes um, did you notice in the last one year? I think people are a lot more paying attention to. Well, one thing is I feel like social media is really crumbling. Because people have realized that it's, it's not like if you have, I don't know if it's on Android, but on iPhone, they have the little screen time thing, right? That's showing you how much time you're spending. And I think a lot of people have been sitting at home for the last year and they're realizing like, wow, how many hours a day am I just scrolling my life away? Like, Mm -hmm. I think I want to do something else. (laughs) And I feel like they're just starting to think about what do I really want to do? If I can't be social and be distracted with whatever I was doing before, what do I want to do? Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I deleted Instagram and Facebook. I didn't delete my accounts. I deleted the app. That oh. works. Um, so if I have to actually look at my Instagram, I use a browser. I don't have the app anymore, so I don't have to keep scrolling. Mm. Um, however, I also have a different perspective about social media. Okay. Um, I think during the pandemic, the social media has actually helped, especially a lot of small businesses, um, to for their advertising purposes to sell stuff. Normally, you know, they used to probably have stores that they could. Um, you know, people go in and buy their stuff, mm-hmm. including small businesses. But technology really helped them in 2020 and really helped a lot of small businesses from not getting shut down. And now I'm not saying social media is is, 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 is amazing. Every, everything has its cause. Yeah. Um, it's just know. a tool. How, yeah, you use the tool. How you use the tool is... Is, it's up to you. Um, if you don't like it, you don't have to be on it. You can always get out of it. Um, but I, 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 I think it really helped a lot of population as well, especially small businesses. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I was um, thinking about getting into drop shipping earlier in 2020 before mm-hmm. all the pandemic happened, and uh, just learning about how the Facebook advertising system yeah. works. It's like, wow, this is really targeted. Yep. It's terrifying, but it's also kind of really beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. If you're if you need that. Yep. So I don't know, I guess it depends which side of the coin you're on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um Okay, uh what about what would you say we'll look at uh I, I like to look at things because like uh, my grandfather is a uh, he has a cattle ranch. And so I've realized growing up, like as I've become an adult, mm-hmm. that a lot of people didn't have anything remotely close to that kind of experience that I had. Um, 
just the way he did things or like he could weld and chew horses and round up cattle and ride horses mm. and like all this kind of stuff that mm -hmm. who, who drives a tractor before they drive a car? Like very <laughs> few people, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's made me realize how many other situations where, uh, people have some sort of, um, wisdom that comes from having grandparents or, or just elders that have really paid attention to something and learned a craft or a skill and they've taken the time to pass it on. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there anything like that in your family? People that like you spoke about your grandfather and your dad and um, any wisdom? No, my, my grandfather was a farmer as well. I mean, I don't think he really drove tractors and things like that, but, um, yeah, he was, he was into farming and didn't really pass on to me. Um, but when I, when I was young and I used to, <clears throat> um, visit him for every holiday. So in India, you usually have holidays twice a year, summer and winter. Mm -hmm. um, so I used to visit him twice a year, uh, at least. Um, and I used to enjoy going to the farm and my great grandfather is still alive. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And um, my great grandmother just passed away very recently, but my great grandfather is still alive. Um, and I used to enjoy going to his farm as well. And, you know, um, he, his farm used to be huge. It used to be to be so many people who used to work there and um i used to just go there in the morning like probably sit till the evening they used to climb coconut trees get me coconuts <laughs> I, yeah i tried to climb one of them not very successful <laughs> um what, what was the what are they farming um mostly rice and mm -hmm. sugarcane um, my, my grandfather was primarily rice but my great-grandfather i think he did a mix of rice and sugarcane. I think um, it's based on season, which season it is. I can't remember which season. Uh, I think sugarcane is more like a winter thing and mm -hmm. rice is more like a summer and monsoon thing because it requires more water. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it is. Um, yeah, you... I used to I used to go into the farm. I, I, I mean, I used to... I don't know what's that called. In, in When you... You don't literally plant seeds for rice. You plant, I don't know what they're exactly called. Like uh, saplings. Yeah, probably. little saplings. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to, you know, help them do that when I was younger. It was just a fun activity for me. I didn't really pick up all those. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it used to be it used Sounds to be like fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've only seen it in like, uh, there was some movie. What was it called? I think it was called the... Uh, it was a movie with Jet Li. It's a mm -hmm. Chinese movie with, uh, it's called Fearless. It's about some Kung Fu master and he ended up mm -hmm. through all kinds of situations. He's in this uh, random little village okay. and, and uh, they plant rice. And so he was really mm -hmm. cocky kind of mm -hmm. thing. So he's like <laughs> trying to like race them. <laughs> and then this blind woman has to go back and like replant and didn't say a word, just like, <laughs> and he's mm -hmm. like, all oh, felt bad. And so he started paying attention. I don't know. It was a very... It was like a very growth arc for him mm -hmm. in that story, but that's the only experience I have of like uh, seeing how rice is planted and stuff. Sure. <laughs> but I don't think it's like that. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so you have you lived in Atlanta most of the time um, when you've been in the U.S.? Mostly. Uh, I, I, moved, I, I came, my, my, my master's, uh, I did my master's in Texas, uh, Texas and in Kingsville, so... Kingsville is a small town in southern Texas. I guess its population is like what twenty, thirty thousand people. It's a very small town. Mm -hmm. um, the 
It's so small that Kingsville's biggest attraction is Walmart. <laughs> um, they do have everything. <laughs> um, and then after college, it was all Atlanta. Okay. Mm. So then you've been here for quite a while. Yes. So how, how would you describe Atlanta? If someone had to, like someone not from here, how would you describe it to them? Um, so if, if, if somebody is not from the U.S., right, Atlanta is definitely not in one of their top most visiting. I mean, if, you, if, if somebody wants to plan a trip to the U.S., they wouldn't definitely have Atlanta in their itinerary. No way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Atlanta is, 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 is a place which, one, I, apart from the, you know, horrible rain that, you know, it rains very frequently in Atlanta. Apart from that, I really like the weather in Atlanta. You think this is rainy? Have you uh, been to Lake Seattle? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really like the the weather in Atlanta. I hate cold. I can't live in cold places. There is, there's no way I can go live up north. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really like it here. And it's, if somebody wants, I, I always recommend Atlanta if somebody wants to move here. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, weather-wise, it's fine. Um, it's it's a really, it's a growing city. A lot of companies are moving their headquarters to Atlanta. Um, it's it's a nice place to live and settle down. It's it's not a happening city like, like a Miami or, or like a New York City or something like that. But it's a very calm place to just settle down and live. I, I, re- I really like, especially the suburbs of Atlanta, the where I live, the Alpharetta coming, um, you know, once, if you're taking 400, maybe past exit 10, you know, once where Alpharetta starts and then you go to coming. Mm-hmm. I really like these suburbs and, and Johns Creek. I really like these suburb areas. They're very pleasant and nice to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any aspects of Atlanta that you... I mean, not weather or anything, but like just the city, social things that could change. Is there any things you would like to see change? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a social person myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really go out and mingle with a lot of people. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think I have anything specific in mind that has to change in Atlanta. No. Do you have something? You've been living here for a long time, right? You went to school here. Uh, yeah, I moved here when I was 16. Yeah. So, but I was for quite a few years. I was living quite a bit north, mm-hmm. so it was a very rural area. Okay. The my biggest complaint at that time from that mindset was like when I would go down the highway, every single exit, not in the city, but as you're going north, it it's like the same shops and the same strip mall. It's the same, same, same exit mm-hmm. every time, <laughs> and I'm like, what's the point of driving? <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I spent more time in Atlanta when I was living there because um, mm-hmm. I had an apartment and lived in Midtown for about a year. Okay. And I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like Atlanta has a lot of weird things about it that didn't make sense at first. Like, yeah, like. well, I came to find out that the around the 60s when they built the highway system they didn't really do it at least to my knowledge because it was 
more efficient this way. Mm -hmm. They literally built the highway to split the Martin Luther King district in half because of the civil rights movement. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so little things like that, or um, the, the MARTA, the public transit system, they wrote the law in such a way that the only way that it can raise money to expand or repair things is to only to raise the cost of the fare, mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense. Yep. <laughs> so things like that, I'm, I'm just so confused. And then when you realize it's probably a lot of racism is the reason why. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's a common thing in southern states. Yeah. Right? But it's it's kind of weird if you look at like the ring of the the loop that goes around. There's like the north and southern half, and every mm -hmm. time I drive in the southern half, it's it just makes me sad. <laughs> There's just so many like, why does it need to be so this way over here? Everything's changing now, of course, because yeah. the huge flood of people from everywhere moving. Yep. So I don't even like I've been gone for the last few years. It's changed mm -hmm. a lot even since I've been gone. Mm -hmm. But that's what I noticed back in like. So, do you feel Atlanta like home, or do you do you prefer living in a different city? Well, I mean, so my parents split when I was three, mm -hmm. and so I've been bouncing between states for flights to see my dad. Okay. Ever since I've lived in Ohio, Texas, Kansas, now Georgia, and then I spent the last few years in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. So, I I feel more at home at the ashram we were staying at, the Isha Foundation, and Bali than I do anywhere else, I think. Because mm -hmm. um, Bali is this very interesting place. It's this little island, and of all of Indonesia, all of it's Muslim, mostly, except for this little island, <laughs> which is more Hindu-based. Yeah. And apparently they were very connected to India, mm -hmm. like for up until a couple hundred years ago. So every day, these people are so beautiful. They like, if you have a business or in your house, they'll take a little basket, they weave out of grass and some sweets and incense stick, and they do a little puja <laughs> for sunrise and sunset every day. And so you'll go down the main strip mm -hmm. and even in the tourist areas where usually most people, um, most countries, when they have a big tourism, they kind of lose their culture a lot. Yeah. It becomes like selling it. Yep. But there, they're genuinely doing it every day. So you'll walk down the little main strip and you'll see the little baskets, little incense sticks. Mm -hmm. And I think the best thing that I, I love about that island is that there's people from all over the world, but at the same time, the uh, culture of the island is still there. So like we were just randomly driving a scooter along and we ended up finding this little, it's a little village and then they have a little temple and under that temple is a natural spring water that comes through. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a little area where they bathe and wash their clothes. And we were going there and filling up our little water five gallon bubble top thing. Mm -hmm. And so we go every like week or two and just kind of take a bath there because it's really nice. And there's always the little locals there that most of them barely speaking in English, but they're excited to see you. So they're just like men, women, it doesn't matter. They're just naked, soapy, mm -hmm. bathing. And they're just like, hey, how's it going? And just starting <laughs> conversation as best they can. <laughs> and I've never been anywhere else like that in my life. A lot of people mm -hmm. are either like, you might find that somewhere, but then it's in the middle of nowhere. Whereas this is like just down the street from the main tourist area, but it's tucked away in its own little oasis. Got it. So you can have rice fields and that and a city and the ocean and a mountain and foreigners and local. It's just, it's a weird combination. That's beautiful. Sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't travel much when I was young. I started traveling, um, mostly after I came to the U S <clears throat> so I'm at least one to visit one country every year. Oh yeah. Um, 
Hopefully, me and Rachna can. What have been your favorites so far? Um, so, I went to Australia um, in 2017. It's an amazing country. Um, so, and me and Archana, we went to Mexico. In case anyone doesn't know who's Archana. Archana is my wife. <laughs> um, went to Mexico um, for our honeymoon. So, um, we went to Cancun, which is a touristy area, which we, which, which you know, like, like you said, a lot of touristy areas, they just try to sell and there's no real mm-hmm. culture. Then we drove to a small town called Tulum. It's like three hours from Cancun. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a very small town, very small population. Lovely beaches, lovely people. The food is amazing. Mm. And just FYI, to all the Mexican restaurants in the U.S., you guys don't serve Mexican food. <laughs> That's not what Mexico serves. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, they just make the Mexican food so Americanized. I don't know, maybe just, it's just the way that the American people probably like it, but taco. The, yeah, <laughs> the true Mexican food is amazing. And we, in fact, we went to one, one particular burrito place. I usually, I'm a person who does not care about food too much. I don't think about food even when I'm eating my food, mm. but that one burrito place, I just can't, I, I cannot forget it. It was so amazing that we ate four or five meals straight at the same Oh wow. Restaurant. Yeah. That's commitment on, yeah. a, on a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So Mexico and Australia? Yeah, Mexico and Australia. But we're, we, we probably want to do um, Istanbul sometime in 2021. Um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> COVID willing. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's talk about the future a little bit. What do you... From your, because I mean, obviously, none of us know anything <laughs> compared to what's going on. Mm-hmm. But from your experience and your like part of the world, what do you feel? Um, what do you What do you see happening in the next five years? Um, I I so COVID has been a strange year, right? I think a lot of things are going to change in the next five years. I. I cannot quite, I cannot quite say in what way, but I'm sure COVID has really changed the lives of so many people. I think it's going to have a significant impact on how the world is going to be after COVID. It's it's definitely not going to be the way it was in what February of 2020. I think it's going to mm-hmm. change. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how in what way. Um, the other thing that that I wish we act upon as quickly as possible in the next five years is hopefully climate change. <laughs> Please. Uh, yeah, it's something that really bothers me every day. Um, it's it, it, it's a funny story recently. Um, I think it was mm, some sometime in November. Me and when I was working for, at Equifax, uh, me, our manager, uh, my manager and a few other team members, we went out for lunch. Um, and then we were going back to the office after lunch and then she asked me, Nitesh, are you going to have kids? And then I said, no, she's like, why not? Kids are amazing. You should have totally have kids. I was like, I don't know if my kids will survive climate change. So I'm not sure <laughs> I should have kids. 
And what if what if the world ends before my kids actually grow up or something like that? She looked at me and was like, Nitesh, that is the most stupid answer I've ever heard in my life. You said you don't want to have kids because you're worried about climate change. You're the most stupid person ever. But anyway, uh, I don't know why I said that at that point. Uh, but yeah, I, I really wish the next five years we start working on that. It's really important. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so uh, interesting angle, though, because like kids, the next generation is we've noticed how whatever our generation told us was the important thing to focus on and how that played out because mm -hmm. everything seems to be changing faster and faster and faster. Yep. So what do you feel like if, if it was up to you for some reason, what do you feel like are the things that the people growing up now would be really would benefit from paying more attention to or learning or like, like you were talking about financial literacy and stuff mm -hmm. like this. Um, I mean, I, I really, now one of the things that I probably want to do at some point in my life is if, if I myself am successful in the financial industry, which is maybe in the long run, it's something that I'm really interested in, probably want to do. I want to maybe go back to India and teach people financial literacy, maybe teach in schools or something like that at some point. Um, Achna might listen to this and start laughing from somewhere, but, <laughs> um, and, but yeah, I really, it's, it's something that I really want to do at some point in the future. And when, when we, when we talk about, when we're talking about climate change, um, I don't think it's really the people that are growing up right now. It's not their responsibility because they're just growing up. It's us, mostly us and our, maybe our parents. It's more on them to, you know, it's called sustainable future. You, if you start doing it right now, now, when especially um, when it comes to climate change, all the people across the planet who are opposed to climate change, they just think climate change is, you know, right? But it's a hoax. A lot of, so yeah, a lot of people say climate change is a hoax. Um, those people will not even live to see the real effects of climate change. And I wish that changes. And yeah, these, these are the only two, I mean, now there are so many things on the planet that you can make, you could, you know, make things better. But the things that I really care about is financial literacy and climate change. Those two things are something that I take very seriously. Okay. Yeah. So. In terms of climate change, I know it's like a very large subject with very complicated, but um, in short, what would be the most impactful things that you would suggest people do? Like if someone's like, you know what, I just woke up and realized that this is a problem. Nitesh, what should I do? What can I do right now? Well, even little things matter, right? Now, for example, you go to the grocery store. Why don't you carry your own bag instead of using plastic bags that Walmart gives you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many things, little things that people can, you know, do. Climate change need not necessarily be you go stopping air pollution somehow, right? You can. Climate change also comes with uh, little things like saving water. For example, don't waste water. A lot of people in the world cannot even. <clears throat> do not even have access to drinking water. So there are little things that you can even do at home to
to help the planet. I won't say it. Maybe people don't understand if you say you want to help the planet, you are probably helping your kids, uh, you know, have a good future if you do little things in your life. So start looking things around you, what, where you can save, um, stop polluting, stop throwing trash around, even li very little things, even though they are very insignificant in, you know, when you think, you know, if you just, you know, what, what's the big deal? I go get a plastic bag from Walmart. No, it's, it's significant. It's, it does not degrade and, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the soil. So even you can start with little things. You don't really have to go change the world. Yeah. <laughs> Just change. One of the interesting things I heard someone explain was like, there is no world. There's only individual people. Yep. So oh. it, the only world we have are the individual people around us, right? Sure. So, um, yeah, like you're saying, those little things with the people around you, like mm. take care of them, take care of what you can. That's yeah. all you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is... Just in terms of like, uh, on a lighter note, for the next five years, what are your, your hopes and aspirations? And like, what do you, what do you want your life to look like in five years? Um, I think I, I, I think I'm now at the point that I'm actually, um, really seeing progress in my professional career. Um, I think I want to build on that and try to get to whatever level possible, but like I said, maybe end of the day, I don't know, in five years or 10 years, I have no idea, but I want to move out of it and maybe do full-time something in the financial industry, which I absolutely love um, looking at, reading, listening every single day. So yeah, I'm probably planning in that direction. I don't know if it's going to happen in five years, but that's probably what I'll be looking at mm. anything else like uh, bucket list places you want to travel to and stuff like that. Not really. I mean, I, I don't really. So there's only one place on the planet that I somehow had this fascination of going to since I was young, which is Greece. Mm. I just, I don't know. I just, read, Discuss. so I used to play a lot of age of mythology when I was young. What is it? Uh, it's a, it's a computer strategy ah. game. Okay, okay. Um, I used to do a lot of gaming. <clears throat> when I was young, I, I quit after marriage. <laughs> um, but yeah, I somehow had this fascination of going to Greece and looking at, mm. you know, all the Greek mythology and things like that. So that's maybe one place that's in my bucket list. But apart from that, I wouldn't say I have to go to this country specifically. Gotcha. Um, it, I mean, maybe Archana has... Uh, bucket list in her head that she wants to travel to. We, we really want to go to Istanbul. I don't know. I, I hopefully we'll do it in 2021. Um, mm. So, I mean, some of our, some, so I visited some countries already and she visited some countries previously. So mm. um, we want to cross them off for now. We don't want to visit the same country that one of us already, one of us has already been to. So gotcha. maybe, We'll, we'll look for other countries. It's, it's, it's really nice when you actually travel to a new country that some people, people say what's, I mean, some people don't understand, you know, why you travel, but you actually learn a lot. Um, mm -hmm. 
when you go to a new country it's 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 fun like i like i just spoke about mexico it's it's an amazing country <laughs> do you learn that american mexican food is not mexican food? no it's not mexican no it's 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 not mexican food i, I i'm sorry <laughs> um oh you know what we never talked about the chess you said you played right chess. tell that story um so i learned chess from my grandfather um when i was maybe 10 years old maybe um i picked it up we i i never played it regularly but then i picked it up um i used to play with him every time i used to go to um our village <clears throat> and we used to play every day so back then in the village i didn't have friends there right uh, i i barely knew people over there um, i mean most of them were even if i knew somebody most of them were old age population my grandfather's relatives and his friends but i didn't really have anybody of my age group to actually um play with and and i um, and my sister was 7 years younger to me so i'm probably if i'm 10 or 11 years old she's 3 or 4 years old so i didn't really play with my sister sister yeah. as much so i used to we used to sit down and just keep playing chess all day and back then in india in most especially in rural places you wouldn't have electricity for like 12 hours a day um and it's 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 funny rural areas did not have electricity so that the urban population gets electricity huh? 24 hours a day and it was it was a real thing um and now it's it's much better now so um the, i mean you have to produce electricity to supply right so when when the production was limited they had to route it to important areas first <laughs> and mm. then most rural areas did not have electricity for close to what 10 12 hours a day and so you didn't have anything you didn't have you you, you can't watch tv you can't do anything so i always do this play chess all day mm. um or go to the farm and or you know just sit there and hang out um and then i slowly picked it up um and i guess it was what eighth grade or ninth grade um i slowly started going to small chess tournaments in hyderabad um when i really liked the game so i told my parents so i had um a chess i went i had a chess coach who used to come home every day and train me really yeah um for close to two years i guess yeah um so you got quite good yeah um and then yeah i used to go to tournaments regularly but um i guess it was 10th grade or something like that um and i spoke about this earlier in india it, now it's slightly better but when i was growing up education was extremely important if you do not get good grades there is no way any of your parents would encourage you to go play a sport mm. um if they did um you're probably extremely lucky because um most parents will will always prioritize education over anything else so so somehow they expect a professional athlete to have 90% grades which is crazy it's crazy uh, um so i got bad grades in when i was in when i was, in, when I was studying 10th class um, what is what is bad for them i don't know i think i got 60s or 70s out of 100 or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um and 
my parents decided no no more chess you have to focus on studying you you're not uh studying at all you're just playing chess all day or you're wasting your time and things like that um and and a lot of and the reason a lot of um parents think that way is they somehow measure success in sports in like a like a percent in percentages so it's like if if you play sports they they just tell you the chance of you becoming big like an actual maybe an international professional athlete mm-hmm. is like 1 to 2% but if you actually study decently and get a job you'll probably be much well off financially at least so not many people would encourage you to play sports um which is which is why if you ever watch the olympics india with 1 billion population barely gets to 10 medals which which is which is crazy right because no one pushes their kids in. <laughs> because there's not enough people who participate um because they don't have support financially or they don't have support from their family now i'm not blaming my family at all for this that it's it's fine it's i i don't know if i would have made it i have no idea um but that's the reason i had to stop playing gotcha mm. so uh like we were saying the the world is constantly changing and changing like i've noticed for me just if you look at someone who grew up 5 years never mind 10 years but like 5 years younger than me it's mm. it's quite different and just like that it keeps compounding mm-hmm. so what do you think are the things which um were kind of told to you when you were younger that this is the thing you need to do and how would you change it for the next generation if if you could when i was young all i was told was you have to study get good grades get a job if i have kids um i'll probably not say the same thing uh i'm sure maybe most of our generation uh if they end up becoming parents i don't think they would they would do it but i think that has to change especially in some countries i, I don't think it's it's that big of a deal in the us correct me if i'm wrong um but i i i, I think i would let my kids do whatever they want um and i would support them um both um you know both mentally and financially mm-hmm. uh, to achieve what they want but i won't um i wouldn't tell them to you know i wouldn't even tell them that this is a better career over the other mm-hmm. i would tell them to figure it out themselves <laughs> <laughs> uh so one thing i've noticed is previously like before the internet you kind of needed to learn information in order to have that in your head but now we can google everything right mm-hmm. so the the priority in education it was always on information and that's not really that useful of a skill anymore mm-hmm. to some degree it is for some things but for a large, large part we can just google stuff so what do you feel in terms of education you would like to see shifted in like a, a more useful skill sets that we should be passing on to the next generation to be able to handle the constantly changing world we're in i i don't i think our next generation or even maybe our generation to a certain extent um 
it's much more easier to learn things now than it was when we were growing up right mm-hmm. um because we didn't really have access to internet even even google was not a big thing back then mm-hmm. um so i think our generation or our next generation just has to try to learn something that's it i mean there is a ton of information available about everything you can you can quickly try i don't know you can learn about 100 different things in 10 days and then pick what you like which we mm-hmm. which we couldn't do back then of course mm-hmm. um so I, i i i don't think i'll personally give an advice to my next generation saying this is how i learned certain things and this is the way you know this is the way you should be learning certain things i think it's changed um people you, you i mean people should be allowed to learn things the way they want to some mm-hmm. people learn, if they if you want to you know i don't know you want you want to go to college and learn something sure but you don't want to go to college you can learn the same thing at home for example so mm-hmm. um no i don't think i would say anything to the next generation myself personally uh that you know this is the way to educate yourself do you, do you do you have something that you know you want to pass on mm. because i think our next generation is going to be smarter than us anyway <laughs> yeah i definitely agree um i i just find the only thing that's really missing is um a sense of discipline for a lot of people and when i say discipline i mean not like beat the kids with a stick or something i, no. I mean like um what i find is okay imagine you had to dig a well and you pick a spot and you dig for two days and then you you don't have any water and so you just go oh, let me try another spot and you just keep digging 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 if you keep going like that you're just going to have a bunch of holes you'll never end up with water so discipline is that um it could be through a martial art it could be through something like chess where you mm-hmm. learn and try and get to a certain level of competency um but just getting to the point where you can actually get through something so you understand the value of putting focus in a direction because mm-hmm. you can do anything mm-hmm. you just can't do everything yeah and so i find a lot of people get lost because they keep quitting before they get anywhere mm-hmm. with whatever they're doing because you have literally in your phone more power than we had to go to the moon yeah and if you just have a little bit of focus on whatever it is you're trying to do then you can do amazing things but how would you get them to focus i, I mean, mean i mean you know you said martial arts or chess or something like that no it totally depends on somebody's interest if they actually want to learn martial arts or chess yeah. or whatever but uh, so um there's a um very interesting different methods of education system so like um there's one uh, not that this is for everybody but there's one and i think somewhere in the west coast washington seattle something like that i don't remember exactly where but the school is very rudimentary it, there's not much to it because almost every day the kids go with the teacher just and walk through the nature and whenever the kids are interested in something that teacher uses that as to encourage their inspiration to help yeah. them go after and and learn more about whatever they're already interested in and so that encourages them to want to learn more because if you can just inspire them they'll do all the work because they mm. want to they're excited about yeah. it yeah sure yeah, yeah so, that's that's a nice idea yeah. 
So that's that's kind of the the shift between like forcing information down their yep. throat by someone who that didn't even work for them, yeah. <laughs> versus like just being there to inspire them to do mm -hmm. what they anyway want to do. Yep, my opinion. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. I found like you're talking about climate change and stuff. Uh, we're at a point where it's it's kind of an important pivotal moment, and uh, we're becoming the generation that's more and more running things society-wise. So um, someone put this forward, and I, I think it's something I agree with quite a lot, which is you've got two real responsibilities as a generation. Mm -hmm. The environment should be at least as good as it was given to you, which I think we've already failed. There's no way it's going to be as good as it was 30 <laughs> yep. years ago. Yep. Um, but we can at least put effort in that direction, mm -hmm. and the next generation should be at least a notch better than we were. Yep. And so if we can just manage those two things, that's really all I care about. Do you think there is enough education outside about climate change? I don't think so. Are no. people... No. People are so busy in their own lives trying to survive, make money, whatever. They don't have, I, I don't know, they have, I, don't, I wouldn't say they don't have time, but they don't have the interest to even learn about climate change. No. Because it's so short term about your life that you want, you just want to live your life. You don't care about what yeah. happens 50 years from now. Yeah. Well, I see two obstacles. One is that people are in survival mode. Um, I have a lot of friends that they're beautiful people, but they're, they've got debt, they've got this, that, mm. and they're, they're just, their life doesn't have space to think about things beyond tomorrow. Yep. And that's very, it, it's very sad to me. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, climate change itself is the way it's presented by a lot of people. They're trying to make it simpler and simpler every day, but it's still, you almost need a PhD to really understand all these graphs and data to like, yeah, you can look at it and be like, oh yeah, that looks like it's going up. That doesn't look good, but I don't know what this many parts per whatever means. And so I, um, there's a, an effort that's going on by the ashram, which I really appreciate They're I don't, they haven't like fully launched it yet, but they're working with the UN to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, they're calling it conscious planet. And, um, their goal is that for every climate zone on the planet, you should know at least five things that need to happen mm -hmm. and at least three things that should not happen for your climate zone in order okay. for us to actually get out of this. Oh. Just make it that simple. Mm -hmm. Like, otherwise, how are we ever going to get anyone to do anything? And the problem, one of the problems I see is climate change is so politicized. I know. Um, so, no, it's so difficult to... I mean, if you, if, 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 let's say you want to pass some clean air act or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Half of Congress in every single country is probably just going to go against it for whatever reason. No, for, for you and me, it's probably like, it's so obvious. Mm -hmm. Why can't you just, you know, help fix the planet? Um, it doesn't work that way. It's so politicized. Yeah. Um, and when, when your leaders are communicating mixed messages, about climate change. Some people believe in it, some people don't. Um, some people don't care about it. Yeah. People get confused and they don't know whom to follow. They tend to follow the people they believe in. So nobody gets the real message a lot of times. You know, in the 70s, I think it was the 70s, my mom said that the, before they passed the 
basically creating the EPA and all uh -huh. that kind of stuff, the Environmental Protection Agency. The Ohio River literally caught on fire from all the crap all these factories mm. were pouring into it. Like, I, I can't imagine being in a country and the, the river catches on fire from being too polluted. <laughs> like, okay, I guess now we have to fix this. <laughs> How did it get this bad? Is my question. <laughs> but I don't know. There's so many... Um, there's so many things that need to happen, and yet we have the technology, we have the ability to do things to fix most of the major problems that humans face on this whole planet. Mm -hmm. It's just willingness is really what's not there. Mm -hmm. So how to fix that? The only thing I've come to is yoga, because we just have to create more sensible people. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I just don't see, like, for example, overpopulation. I don't know how we're going to fix anything if we don't. Yep. do something about that mm -hmm. yeah and like I said climate change I mean fighting against climate change is starts at home you, mm -hmm. if you have little kids at home talk to them tell them and start there mm -hmm. I mean you don't have to go change the world you can do little things always definitely <clears throat> um, do you have any uh, like really great memories you could share just like not not about climate change just like <laughs> <laughs> i get that <laughs> um just like a fun story or maybe like one of your friends that did something really funny you liked or something like that um just something light to end on yeah maybe yeah i can maybe talk about my bachelor's trip we went to spain okay for my for my bachelor's party i i, I it's not it's not something that happened in spain it's just a funny story um, so my flight to Barcelona was from New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So I had a local flight from Atlanta to New Jersey, <clears throat> in New Jersey to, um, Barcelona. Um, from here, me and I have a friend called Shrinivas. Um, we've been friends since like, I don't know, 15 years or something. Well, we, but we were going from here and we had three more friends coming from India. Um, so we boarded our flight in Atlanta. We landed in New Jersey, so your flights in your phones in flight mode when you're when you are on a flight ride. So as soon as I landed in New Jersey, I got a text message saying my flight to Barcelona has been cancelled. Um, and I was like, um, I was like, oh crap, um, what do we do now? And then we got off the flight, we went to the airport, we went to the um, the check-in counter. There was a huge line, um, so I was looking up online when's the next flight, and next flight was three days later. Three days. Three days later. So we were like, okay, so we have to figure out a way to get to Barcelona because our friends in India have already boarded their flight to Barcelona. Oh, so they're going to be there. They're going to be there. And, I, and I'm, I'm not going to be there. And most hotel reservations and Airbnbs are on my name. So I have to be there. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want to miss my bachelor's trip. So we decided. <laughs> it's your bachelor's trip. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so we decided, okay, so we don't have to fly to Barcelona. Let's fly to Paris and take a train from Paris to Barcelona. That's an option because most European countries are so interconnected. Yeah. And even the Schengen visa you have access to any, any country in the European zone. Uh, so we decided to take a flight to Paris. So we went to um, the airline that I can't remember the name of it. We went to the airline um, you know, desk and asked them if they have any tickets 
for the next flight to Paris, which is probably leaving in, in two hours or something. They said yes, but they said they cannot sell the tickets at that desk and they have to call the customer care to buy tickets. Oh. I was like, okay. So I called the customer care and I said, I want to buy tickets. They said, we can't sell tickets on the phone. You have to buy in the airport. But then I told them that those guys just <clears throat> told me that I have to buy on the phone. They're like, no, we can't buy on the phone. And I went and told the same thing at the, at the, at the, at the, at the desk. And they said, no, we can't help you. So I was like, oh crap, we can't take the Paris flight. Someone take my money. <laughs> yeah. And then, so we walked upstairs. There was a flight going to Portugal. <laughs> so like, okay, we don't have to go to Paris. We can go to Portugal and then take a train from Portugal, right? Um, so I think it was, it was a flight to Lisbon. Okay. So we went to that, that uh, check-in counter and we asked for tickets to Lisbon. They said, yes, we do. But um, the lady who sells tickets is, she's, I think it was dinner time. She said, she stepped away for dinner. Give her 15, 20 minutes. She'll be back and she'll sell you tickets. So we waited. The lady came back. We went to her and she said, and I said, I want to buy tickets to Lisbon. She said, we have tickets, but we can't sell you. I was like, why not? So apparently there is an FDA law, the, you know, the airline regulation committee has a law where if you have hundred people on a plane, you need to have meals, meals available for hundred people. No passenger can fly in an aircraft without a meal. Even oh. though you, even though you choose not to eat it, you still, it's, it's the responsibility one. of the airline company to provide you a meal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So apparently they have empty seats, but they do not have enough meals on the flight. So they can't let me buy a ticket to Lisbon. Because there's no food. There's no food on plane. I was like, dude, it's a seven hour journey. I think it's a seven or eight hour flight and it's night. I'll probably just sleep and wake up and I'll be in Lisbon. I don't need food. I will pack a lunch. It's I, <laughs> the I will just sit in the plane. And they said, no, we can't sell you tickets. And we were so disappointed. And so, and then we sat in the airport's cafeteria and we were looking up tickets for the next day. So we spent $800 per person extra to book tickets for the next day. All right. And, and the story doesn't end here. And we booked tickets. So at that, that day we decided to sleep at a friend's place in New Jersey. I had a friend. Um, so we took an Uber, um, decided to go to our friend's place. So on the, on, on the way we thought we were hungry and we thought we'll grab a couple of beers and we'll get dinner and then go to the friend's place and sleep over. We went to a bar, we ordered food. I had my backpack. Uh, so we were sitting at a bar counter, me and my friend, I had my backpack in front of me and my carry on, uh, suitcase beside me and it was Halloween time that time the bar was dark it was all halloween theme i was eating food and drinking beer my suitcase was stolen <gasps> no <laughs> <laughs> um some homeless guy apparently came into the bar took my suitcase and ran away and i didn't realize because it was so dark uh, oh. <laughs> and then I why was he homeless <laughs> <laughs> and um i finished dinner and drinks and then i was looking for my suitcase i can't find it anymore i was like oh crap I, I, in my backpack, I literally had my passport and my laptop and nothing else. Everything else was in my suitcase. <laughs> and then, okay, I walked out and then there were a couple of people outside the bar who were, I guess they were smoking then. Um, I asked them if you saw somebody with a suitcase. They said, we just saw a homeless guy walk with a suitcase. Oh. Uh, and they said, oh, okay, so where do you go? He, they said he went that way. Oh, 
Oh, so that's your suitcase. We just assumed it was a homeless guy's suitcase. I was like, why would a homeless guy come into a bar with a suitcase? <laughs> They're like, I don't know, man. Uh, I just assumed it was his suitcase. I'm like, okay, fine. And then, all right, so I decided to file a police complaint or something like that. So there was a cop car in the opposite parking lot of the bar. So I walked to the cop car and I asked him, hey, my suitcase is stolen. And the cop says to me, this is a bad neighborhood. It's all right. Your suitcase is gone. Just go home. I'm like, I just lost my suitcase. Won't you help me? Like, doesn't matter. This is a bad neighborhood. Get out. Don't worry about your suitcase. And I didn't have, I had nothing. I literally had a backpack. At least it didn't tell you to call customer support. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was almost in tears because every, like, it's like there are, the all signs on the planet are against me going to my bachelor's trip, right? Like, no airline wants to sell me, <laughs> sell me tickets. My flight got canceled. I lost my suitcase. Like, there's nothing else that I, I'm just glad I didn't lose my passport, though. Yeah. Uh, and then I went and slept over uh, at my friend's place. And luckily, nothing happened the next day. We boarded our flight <laughs> and we went to Barcelona. <laughs> okay. and, I, and I landed in Barcelona. The first thing I did in the airport was to go buy a suitcase. And then from there, I went to a shopping mall and I bought everything from scratch. Like, like toothbrush. And, uh, toothbrush and shoes and underwears and <laughs> pants and shirts and everything. I had to do shopping in Barcelona from scratch. Oh, that's fun, though. <laughs> Souvenir clothes. Yep. Yeah, that's a funny story that happened. Cool, cool. The rest of the trip was good? Yeah, the rest of the trip went, went great. <laughs> Just started pretty bad. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, nothing worse happened. Yep. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Before we um, wrap up. I, I I don't know um, if I have something specific, but if it's just um, it's something that I learned in 2020 um, that this is maybe for other millennials in terms of financial literacy. I'm not going to tell people where their money should go, where they should spend, where they should invest. I'm not. I'm no Warren Buffett. Or, or Bill Miller or Bill Ackman or somebody to advise people what to do with their money. But <clears throat> it's something that I learned um, myself in 2020. Um, there are some things that millennials should not do. One is don't buy crap you don't need. These are the things that I learned. Always invest your money for the long term. And the third thing is, it is not many people talk about this, but it is extremely important that you find the right partner in your life. And this is something that I never thought I would say, but I think I wouldn't have gained all this knowledge, which I think I have, I don't know, <laughs> but um, it wouldn't have been possible if I did not have married Asana. So it is extremely important in life your partner can have opposite views about anything else except except your finances. Um, you can have opposite views on food and having pets and having kids. You can you can fight about having one kid or two kids or whatever. But if you and your partner 
do not have the same wavelength in terms of finances i think that is one of the number one reasons a lot of marriages fail so i really believe that millennials should also focus and invest their time on finding the right person to be with them in their life it is extremely important and um i i dated a few people before rachna and i can very confidently tell that i i wouldn't have been where i am right now if i married any of them so it's extremely important that people find the right partner in their life <laughs> very well <laughs> yeah well um nitesh thank you so much for coming on this is uh i i really enjoy doing these podcasts cuz it's you just don't get to have a more intimate talk with people that often i agree especially, especially since covid yeah yeah especially these days so uh, i really appreciate you um spend the time to do this with me thanks he um my first podcast ever <laughs> thanks Woo-hoo! for having me <laughs> um but yeah that's it guys uh thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next podcast All right